Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Pudua, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. Today, we are excited to present part one from the recording of when IEW celebrated its 25th birthday and where Andrew remembers the past and looks forward to the future. Enjoy. So, brief history. Uh, this is uh, very much a summary. You know when I said some arise is when you tell some of it, not all of it. That's what we're doing here. And there's so many stories and people that I could go into great depth, uh, but that would put us here way past the clock. And we do have some very important things to do at the end. So just for those of you who aren't familiar with where it all began, uh, many of you jumped on board with IEW during a certain kind of year or period, and you will notice that. There's also a few names up there, but I couldn't put everybody's name where it belongs. So I do apologize. So it was 1989. My beautiful pregnant bride and I went to the northernmost reaches of Canada to a little podunk place called Gruard, where we met Dr. Webster and learned this writing program. I came back, and at that time I was teaching violin primarily and desperately trying to do anything else I could to make money. And so I thought, well, I would teach some writing classes to homeschoolers. So if any of you are familiar with my daughter Genevieve and her spicy cheese story, that happened right about then. The thing that I thought was most interesting is that the very first time I tried to produce a written piece of paper and hand it out to many people, typos. How is this possible? Well, I didn't have any editors. I mean, I did, but she was having a lot of children and busy. <laughs> the, the thing that mystifies me, though, about this the most is how in the world did I teach a 45-minute writing class? Anyway, so I did that and did a couple other things for a few years. And then in 1994, I got this crazy idea to do a, a seminar teaching other people how to teach this writing program and I called Dr. Webster. I had been going up to Canada each summer during that time and I said I want to do a seminar, do you mind? And so he has a little message for us. Well, Andrew. He's 92 years old right your now. your 25th anniversary of your company. I that's amazing, really. You know, I remember back 25 years ago when you came to me and asked if you could sell my materials. And I really thought you were crazy. You know, I, I, you'll never make any money in this. And you, then you were talking about going, uh, giving up your job and doing this uh, full time. Uh, I couldn't, I, I, I was just, I was flabbergasted, but I thought, here's a young man who's got dreams, but unfortunately, they're wild, and I sort of ignored it, and then, you know, gradually, I saw it was coming to life, man, so congratulations. You know, you've been, you've just been a wonderful success. 
I can't believe it sometimes when I think back about it. Thank you so much. This is your admirer here, Burton, in Vancouver, Canada. Thank you. Bye-bye. I try to visit him once or twice a year, and uh, he's, he's usually a little crustier. That was a very soft, kind, and gentle Burton. So we made some videos, and I will tell you when the idea of making a video occurred, <coughs> someone said, oh, we could video your seminar for you. I thought, that is the dumbest thing. Who would watch a video of a writing seminar? It's a seminar. It's a class. You have to be there eye to eye. You have to talk to people. You have to see if they're laughing or smiling. How could you possibly be effective on video? But it was, he said, well, you know, we'll make a video. I'll try to sell it. You try to sell it. And, you know, if we sell it, great. And if not, it doesn't cost you anything. So I thought, well, the worst thing that could happen is I see a video of myself, see how awful I am, and try to improve a little bit. So we had these videos, and they were very, very bad. <laughs> I just looked like a goon. I couldn't stay in one spot. I was disorganized, using verbal crutches to the distress of every Toastmasters Club member. <laughs> but it was, it was educational. And shortly thereafter, we made a better set of videos, which we did then sell. How many of you had one of these blue screen printed binders. Can you believe it? Yes, it's amazing. So we sold that for a couple of years. And I, uh, I then discovered that grammar is a controversial thing. <laughs> because when you call yourself Institute for Excellence in Writing, there are a lot of people who want to point out <laughs> the problems in your flyers, on your, on your material, on your website. I mean, to this day, we have people who will contact us and say, there's a split infinitive on your website. So the first one was the invisible witch. I had to create this thing to explain why we did our witch clause the way we do and how you do that first and then make it better. And so that was kind of the grammar beginning. 1998, I was still teaching violin full time. And I hired uh, one person to help me part time. And uh, I kind of got a break with this thing called the Six Traits Writing Assessment Model. Has anyone ever heard of that? It was huge in the public schools. And I got a call from the school district in Alaska saying, do you know anything about the Six Traits Writing Assessment Model? And I said, I can learn, especially if it means work. So I studied this thing. And then I discovered, aha, we have the perfect answer because it's an assessment model but not a pedagogy, not a methodology. 1999 was a big year. We had determined to leave where we were in Idaho. Dr. Webster and I decided that we would create a spelling program. So he flew to Montana where my mother was living, and we wrote and recorded the phonetic zoo, which many of you have used, some of you grown up using. And that is my little daughter, Fiona, uh, being a model for how to do the phonetic zoo. 
And uh, that is my family sitting in this horrible place of Woodstock, Virginia, which was just a temporary location on our way to California. See, if you, if you want to get to California, you start in Idaho. <laughs> then you move to Virginia for nine months, and then you go to California. This, I don't know, do you recognize Jim Weiss? He was one of my old friends from the convention circuit. He, he got out there with his audio presentations, and that's my daughter, Morial, and uh, he was, uh, he's been a good friend ever since. So in the year 2000, we made it to Atascadero, California, and that was when I had the opportunity to redo the Teaching, Writing, Structure, and Style course in the actual form that it existed for 15 years. Uh, it was on VHS tapes. How many of you own that charmingly bulky set of VHS tapes? Yeah. And we, uh, we sold that. I tell you, though, when the newsletter mailing list reached 2,500, the kids were complaining. Like, this is too much work! Because in those days, you had to put labels and stamps and the... In fact, I'm not even sure they came up with the... The, uh, the adhesive stamp. I think you still had to lick stamps back then. <laughs> Spongy, yes, you remember. Sponge stamps. Then, out of the blue, Janet Spittler calls and says, could I sell your stuff at a homeschool convention in Oklahoma? <laughs> that sounds great. Someone can sell my stuff, and I don't have to be there. So she became a first convention rep. Janet's not, yeah, yeah, there you are, Janet, okay. So Janet uh, became the first rep, and uh, Julie Walker, at the time, was working for Biola University. She had a knack for packing the rooms. She would organize this thing. I would show up. There'd be 170 people in the Biola Chapel. No tables, which I complained about profusely. People had to write on their lap. But the 170 people paying to be there, that was a good <laughs> sign. I also got involved with this school district in Alaska that ended up serving some military bases overseas. So I went to Japan, where I had lived when I was younger, and taught on the Misawa Air Base in Japan. And then Webster uh, and I got together an idea for a book that would have lessons all ready to go. Because one of the problems we had, of course, we have always had until now, is people love the system, but they don't have the time or the discipline, or the organization to make their own assignments. So Webster and I put together Bible-based writing lessons, and uh, that was the first of the theme-based writing lesson books, which was, for many years, my favorite of them all. It's a bit ironic, because Webster is a staunch atheist. But he grew up living with his grandfather, who is a pastor in the United Church of Canada, so he actually knows the Bible very well, he even taught Sunday school for years. So he had a lot of fun with this Bible-based writing lessons. I just had to keep it organized the right way. You know. Also, uh, Jill Pike. I met Jill. And Jill came to, I guess, one of the conventions we were doing and noticed my style of exhibiting, which was to stack stuff on the table. <laughs> and there you see beautiful Julia and her sister, Fiona, uh, standing there, bored as can be, probably at the Florida Convention, with all of the stuff stacked on the tables, which I thought was a perfectly decent way 
to display your wares. Jill, on the other hand, said we need informational signs. So she put on her thinking cap, which is supercharged indeed, and came up with that. Do you remember it, Jill? All those little pieces and black backgrounds and, and it just got kind of fancier and fancier and, and it seemed to appeal to all of the women who were coming on board as exhibitors. <laughs> they like this idea. I was all for just stack the stuff up and that's quick and easy. Then you get back to the hotel room, relax, but no. So this kind of began, in my mind, this began the change from my style to a much better style. So I will always thank Jill for that. Peter Busimi, who's in the room, where are you, Peter? He was the first person full-time. I remember thinking, oh Lord, if I hire a full-time person, I will have to make twice as much money. Is that possible? And it not only became possible because of him, it continued to be possible. And it was just so kind of providential. In fact, that is the theme. If there is one theme of IEW's history, it is the Lord provides. Because Peter came to me right before I desperately needed help. And I couldn't have found him or advertised or picked. I wouldn't have even been brave enough, honestly. But he came and he has been with me ever since. So this is a very nostalgic for Pete and me. Also, a very young 17-year-old Cameron Covey was collating books in our office alongside some of my children. Never would have imagined at 17 what destiny would happen to him. Got this idea to do a CD-ROM catalog, and then I started really the favorite thing I've ever done, which is the linguistic development through poetry memorization. And I sat up at night when it was really quiet, and I recorded all those poems, and I wrote all that book, and Julia designed the first cover, which I don't have here to show. And then, in that year of 2003, a small event occurred, which became momentous in its greater scope. And that was an order from some little group or school or thing somewhere in North Carolina called Classical Conversations. Well, I had no idea what this thing was, but they kept ordering more and more and more. And I didn't meet Lee Bortons until I think three or four years after this. Um, but it has been the best. And she is here with us tonight. And I am tremendously honored that she flew halfway across the country to come and join us tonight. Lee, would you like to say a few words here? Thank you so much. And now I see why I'm first and get two to 10 minutes because I'm early in the history. <laughs> I'm old now. But it really is a privilege to be here. And it's really nice to see all these faces that have helped Andrew and Robin and their family to serve the Lord and the um, educational community for so many years. Um, a lot of people know me as the founder of Classical Conversations. What a lot of people I don't think really realize is I'm just a homeschooling mother 
And a lot of things that I did 30 some years ago when we started was out of desperation because there wasn't a lot of curriculum and opportunities and options. And so a story I don't think Andrew knows is um, one of the things that put me on track to finding out about him was our second son, John, came to me one day and said, edit my paper, please, Mom. You know, that normal thing you do. And I was editing it, and I said, you wrote should of. You should have written should have or should of, apostrophe V-E. And he looked at me and said, how am I supposed to know that? They sound the same. So he was probably 15 when that happened. And I looked at him, and I said, you know what? I know that that's how you spell it because I've read so much. I have no idea what the rules of grammar are in spelling in order to tell you why. So I want you to know, I was just like all the other moms that are out there that struggle with these kind of details. Maybe this is what makes me different, is I don't like it when my kids have a question that I don't know how to research. This is pre-internet, you gotta remember. I, no, just go Google. And so I gathered some historic kinds of uh, English grammar books, Strong Settlement of Style and Warner's Composition and Grammar. And, um, and I'd already gone through Writing Road to Reading, and I was looking for the rules in there. And through just a really uh, summer of struggle, I just remember still the moment I was at the swimming pool, and the kids were swimming. And this just I started crying. This revelation from the Lord came to me. And that the main thing out of all of this English grammar that I was pursuing was that it all originated with his name. If he did not say that I say his name was I am, we could not speak a single sentence because it's the simplest sentence with a subject and a verb. Everything comes from those two words. So every time you say a sentence, secular, lover of the Lord, ambivalent, you can't say anything grammatically correct if he wasn't who he is. And so that really set me on the mission to write the Essentials program and to make sure I was having more babies, to make sure that they had a better equipped mother. And so, you know, for me, the way I learn things is I just write a book. I think that's how you're supposed to learn, right? Don't you all write just books to learn to do it? So in that process, I was looking for good resources, and I came across what Andrew Pudua had put together. And I saw how compatible the two were because he was given very specific rules for young children on how to dress up and look at the styles and structure. And I was looking at the structure of language and it just seemed to fit really well. And so he's correct. I just started ordering and getting more and more women. I order another, I think I did like two and then 20 and then 200. And it was just snowballing. He was just so popular. And you all know why, right? He's super funny and so engaging. Um, and oh, let's see. Four or five years ago now, David came to me. That's our youngest of our four sons. And he said, Mom, can you edit my paper? So this is, you know, many years later. And I said to him, this sentence is not right. And he said, Mom, it's an invisible witch. <laughs> All right. So to this day, he still, he's, he loves language. He's good at writing papers. And he studied under you for many years. And so I just really appreciate all that effort. I also wanted to talk about um, just rem rem uh, just reminders of when we did some together in the early years. It took me a long time to meet Robin, which is my sadness. I love being with her. I'm actually here tonight so I could sit by her. Um, <laughs> she just is a really great woman. And so over the years, I've been trying to think why you and I were so successful in our businesses. Because a lot of our friends who started businesses to try to help homeschoolers at the same time aren't around anymore. 
So I wanted to go over a few of the reasons I think why you were so successful. And one of them is, of course, you and, you know, the motivation he had to serve his family well, which, of course, has been a privilege to all of us. Um, and before I tell you these, I also want to say the way I got to know Robin is she and I spent two days in Russia together going to museums. And there's no better way to meet somebody than to try to just, or get to know them than to try to read words that you can't read together and <laughs> things like that. But we had a really good time, didn't we? So I think the first reason why he, uh, IAW's had longevity is because of the motivation of his family. The second thing is the Lord has just blessed you in being what I call a headhunter. You see somebody and you know they're gifting. And so you've put together an amazing team, you know, starting with, I won't repeat your story, but Julie's probably the first one I got to know. And I knew that you knew how to find staff that could do what you couldn't do. And you let them do their jobs. So that's one reason. Another reason is he does things in service to Christ, and I'd say Christ alone. The rest is just icing on the cake for him. And so what a heritage to pass on to you girls and the rest of these grandbabies that you're having. Um, this past year, my, well, a few years ago, my son Robert took over our business as the CEO. And for, I think, very wonderful reasons that are right from the Lord, there's a lot more unity in Christ among the really faithful than I've ever in my life seen before. Orthodox, Protestant, Catholic, and we do so many things together and we work really closely together and we hire folks from all of those denominations. And so we were beginning as we grew to have just issues and questions and concerns and I wanted my son to hear from the best as far as how to just maybe deal with some of the differences among our, you know, worldviews. And so Andrew and his wife Karen, as well as this Andrew and his wife Robin, were able to come to my house for a weekend with my pastor and his wife and my son and his wife. And we just talked about our faith. And that was a really, just really special time where I got to see once again why Andrew is so successful because he just loves the Lord. The first time I met him was in Colonial Heights at a restaurant with Mary Alves, who I love to death, and we were so excited. We were fangirls before the word <laughs> existed. It was in February of 2007 at a Chinese restaurant, and the first thing he said to us after hello was, oh, this is not a noisy restaurant. I can't talk to people in a noisy restaurant. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> so guess what? I can't go to noisy restaurants now oh, either. No. It's something about getting old, I think. But for you, it was because you love sound. You love sound, and it should be right. All right? And so you have eyes that see and ears that hear, and you want that for yourself, so you pursue that. His love for words is genuine. I was out to dinner with you and you again, I think, and the waitress came and asked if you wanted dessert, and he looked at her and said, Oh, that would be gluttonous. <laughs> and, and I just said, that's such an Andrew word to say. And, you know, and he loves words so much that I watched him, and I don't think he knows this. I watched him make videos in front of about 120 Russians at a shopping mall. And the part that you don't know was there was a circus going on at the same time, and there was jugglers and people with stilts and all kinds of things going on behind him. And the audience's eyes were focused on him. They weren't seeing it either. And so that was really fun to see. 
And then I think the, another, the last reason I'll share why I think that he has uh, been so successful is he's the only man that could find it humorous and take joy in the idea that women across this nation meet Friday nights for popcorn with Kudawa. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, Andrew, Julie, Robin, and all the rest of you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lee. It means a lot. Okay, so back to the timeline. Um, we did the first teacher writing intensive in Tacoma. Who was there? Anybody? Nobody? Okay. I think I was there. <laughs> um, Webster was there. We brought down Mrs. Ingham and uh, did that first that idea of that teacher writing intensive. And then um, in 2004, uh, we gained some more reps, some of whom are here tonight, Laura House, Danielle Olander, and uh, Jan and Britton Miller, and uh, I don't know, 2004, the fact that you are still doing this with us right now, even though your kids are basically, well, you still got kids. You know. So once you lose those teenagers to schlep the boxes, conventions are not as much fun. That's, um, we won the first Practical Homeschooling Reader Award in 1999 and have won it first place in the writing and composition category every single year since then. And then some other awards, the Old Schoolhouse, uh, Kathy Duffy's Top 100. I think they're all on the wall out there somewhere. And in 2005, Lori, we did the experiment. Where are you, Lori? Yes. The first history-based writing lesson. You remember? I designed that cover. <laughs> I thought it was awesome. Uh, and uh, we went through so many iterations. Uh, at that point, we just called it history-based because we didn't know there was going to be US history and ancient history and medieval history and world history and advanced US history and, and all things fun and fascinating and it seemed to be a never ending progression. And of course that is what the Classical Conversations adopted for Essentials with great success, the um, ancient medieval and US history. So you are tied closely to CC in that way. Uh, I tried this high school writing intensive. We did that at Biola, the video there. And I remember doing the, the triac paragraph about the cafeteria at Biola, <laughs> which I thought might be controversial. And Leisha Myers wrote the elegant essay. It's funny, I called her to write a book, and I said, would you write this book? And she wrote a book. It was completely a different book. But it sold like hotcakes all the years. Uh, then, 2007, uh, I picked up a book by Lee Roddy, and I said, I could use this, how to write a story. And so I offered to publish that, and that's been a long time one. Uh, Jill did an inestimable gift to everyone using the student intensive and the student intensive communication uh, continuation course, because it was basically a video, and then another video, and it was a huge leap. And then another video, which is a huge leap, and another video. And when I taught it live, I just did it in four days. But that wasn't really good for the home school, the school. So Jill designed the in-between lessons. So there's a video, and a few more just like that, and the next video, and a few more just like that, and the next video. And that, I think, really uh, gave longevity and, of course, a tremendous blessing to the thousands. I don't know. How many have we sold, Julie? Student, right? Tens of thousands. Tens of thousands. 
Pamela, who could not be with us tonight, many of you know Pamela White, so uh, she is not with us, but uh, we got the first version of Fix It going. And uh, Lorena Schwackhofer put together a word right now, and of course, more history-based writing lessons. <laughs> One thing that happened uh, was I met Adam Andrews, Adam and his wife Missy, at a conference in Spokane. And that really planted a, a big seed. They not only loved the writing program, Adam got the idea. If that guy could do a seminar, I could do a seminar. <laughs> so we'll let Adam and Missy tell a little bit of their story. They would have liked to be here. Hello, IEW VIPs, and happy anniversary to IEW. Adam Andrews here, along with my wife, Missy. Hi. And we are the co-authors of Teaching the Classics, directors of Center for Lit, and longtime colleagues in debt to Andrew Pudua and IEW. We're as honored as we can be to be asked to say a few words at this gala, and also very sorry that we can't join you in person. But we didn't want to let the occasion go by without saying something formal, uh, something official about how much we owe IEW and Andrew in particular. And our association with, with Andrew and with IEW goes all the way back to 2003, and it began in some circumstances that we like to remember uh, as a couple and as a company. And Missy, I wonder if you could describe uh, how we got in touch with Andrew and how that started for us. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, I was homeschooling at the time, and um, I had become familiar with the IEW program through a friend of mine and had watched the videos in a group setting. And when I heard that Andrew was coming to town, um, I was very excited about coming to hear him speak live. And I suggested to Adam, who was at the time the headmaster of a small classical Christian school in our area, that maybe his school would benefit from the program. Mm -hmm. So he came along with me. Mm -hmm. And as we were watching Andrew teach, um, it became more and more apparent to me that something was happening to my husband. <laughs> I looked over him at one point, and he had gone from scribbling notes about pedagogy to just sitting with his mouth wide open, essentially. <laughs> there was a little of this going on. And when I asked him about it, he said, I think I'm supposed to do this. To which I replied, well, great. You found a great curriculum for your school. So glad. <laughs> he said, no, no, you don't understand. I think I'm supposed to do this. And he was getting a vision for his career in this, in this particular situation. So knowing this, I went up to Andrew afterwards and thanked him. You know, we were both thanking him for his, his teaching. Mm -hmm. And I, do you remember this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I said to him, I really wish that I could get you and Adam in a room um, to just talk with each other because I think you'd have a lot to say to one another. And Andrew, you said, yes, I, I agree. I think that too. And I thought, you do? <laughs> because we were complete strangers. You didn't know us at all. But I can see in retrospect that it was just the Holy Spirit. Mm. You know, it was a divine appointment that was occurring. And um, in, through our discussions with you, um, you helped us to fine-tune exactly what it was that was needed in the homeschool community and how we could fill that need. And all of the parts began to come together for us. And as we got Center for Lit off the ground... Um, Andrew, you were just an amazing resource mm -hmm. and friend to us in that. Um, I want to say publicly thank you for the way that you helped us get our start, um, for the continued support that you've given us for all of these years. I, I'd like everybody to know what you did. Mm -hmm. um, you took the two of us, strangers to you, 
and said, yes, I think so too. I believe in you and I want to help you with my resources, with my time, with my energy, with my experience. You brought all those things to bear and um, you even filmed our first version of Teaching the Classics Basic Seminar. Um, it's overwhelming to look back on all that you did for us, and we're so indebted to you as mm. a result. It's been a wonderful partnership, and um, and we will never forget your kindness to our company. Mm. One of the things that I love to remember about our association with Andrew and with IEW is a principle that I learned over the dinner table from Andrew during the course of shooting one of the projects that we worked on together. And it, it's a principle that I've remembered and tried to apply to everything we do at Center for Lit. And that is the principle of abundance. And Andrew, I don't know if you remember talking to me about this, but you said, you know, here's the idea. We serve the, the people that God has called us to serve, and we do it as generously and in as widespread a fashion as possible without thought to what we're going to get back in the process. And uh, the eventual result of making what we have abundantly available will be that everyone is taken care of. Uh, the people that we're serving, our colleagues, ourselves. We don't have to worry about the event, the eventual result because our job is to spread it as widely as possible. And I learned that from you that day and have tried to apply it to everything we do at Center for Lit ever since. And I'd like to report that it's working. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for that. On a, on a personal level and on a business level, um, your investment in our family and in our company has been uh, of inestimable value. You, there's a, a Bible verse that says, cast your bread upon the waters and it will return to you. A good measure, pressed down, overflowing. And I hope, Andrew, that um, this celebration that you're getting to experience this weekend, that we're missing, I'm so sorry we're missing it, but that, that this celebration would be a little bit of that coming back to mm -hmm. you, that this would be bread to mm -hmm. you and encouragement to your heart. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. It's been 16 years that we've been associated with IEW and with Andrew, and uh, we'd just like to add our congratulations on to commemorate 25 years in business for, for this great company. We look forward to being involved with you for 25 more and can't wait to see what God has in store for this wonderful ministry. So we'd like to add our voices to the general throng. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. IEW. I will say one of the worst moments was about five years ago. I was at a convention standing next to Adam Andrews, and someone asked me if he was my son. <laughs> that was painful, but it's, it's been a good one. We, we did that video. It was just me and him, and I was trying to run two cameras at once, and then I stayed up all night, night after night, editing all this video and he put the book together and we cranked it out sold it for about 10 years and then he said as we have said <laughs> uh, time to improve the product so he went and got a much more professionally done version uh, but that did get the start so in 2007 my life changed very significantly this woman Julie Walker who had filled the auditoriums at Biola University uh, I had teased year after year for a few years. I said, well, if you ever leave Biola, you should come work for me. So she calls me up one day and says, I'm leaving Biola. And I thought, oh, no. 
Okay, let's talk. So, true confessions. Not everyone has heard this. I was down there in uh, Southern California getting ready to meet her and the Holiday Inn, and I had to fortify myself <laughs> with a couple beers. <laughs> because I did not know what was going to happen. And I thought, this woman just finished an MBA. She is going to expect a lot of money. And now I'm going to have to work even harder <laughs> to pay another person. But she made some promises, and we took it going. And my life has never been the same again, because uh, she is a woman of truly remarkable talent and vision and has been extraordinarily loyal, um, even when I've said and done things that might have hurt her. She has, she has always been gracious and uh, a, a great right and left hand. And now my life is very easy because she does <laughs> all the work. Uh, one of the first things we had to do was redo the website because it was not a great website. So she spearheaded that and that's when we got excellenceinwriting.com. And we had our first rep retreat in San Diego. You can see, if you look carefully, a picture of a very young-looking Julie Walker and a pretty young-looking Janet Spittler. Because that was the place where we took the risk and said, well, if we're going to make this school's things happen, we need someone to do it. And so Janet was uh, moving out of homeschooling and teaching in a school, getting classroom experience, but loving what we do, and so she came on as school's division head. Cameron, are you in the room or are you hiding in the He's closet? The He's behind the curtain. Cameron is just another incredible example of someone who God just dropped in my lap. I would never have been able to look for him. He called me up out of the blue one day and says, hey, Mr. Pudua, you know, um, I, I didn't go to college. I've been reading about business. I've been doing this uh, alert training program. And I've always liked what you do, and I would like to move back to Atascadero where my grandparents live, and I would like to know if I could work for you. And I'm thinking, oh no, <laughs> another mouth to feed. <laughs> and I said, I don't know. This, I'm not in the planning to hire anyone right now, but tell you what, I'll risk it. I'll risk six months at X thousand dollars, and if it looks like it's paying for itself, then we can do it. But that's all I can promise. Within six weeks, this guy had become invaluable. He just started to organize everything and systems and, and who would have imagined? And uh, I always hold him up as a, a model of a person who kind of takes an alternative path and is just hugely successful. And, and very, very careful and intelligent, and uh, I, I could talk about Cameron for a long, long time. Linda joined us. I, I, as according to my first records, this was the year you did the first school PD. Really? I, I don't know where it was, but I know I paid you money that year. So <laughs> a lot of these records are dredged up from, from old check registers. Like, how do I know when things happen? 
And I got to go on a tour of New Zealand and meet homeschoolers internationally for the first time there. Um, in 2008, we had another Writing Educators Symposium, and uh, this was really, uh, it was exciting. Julie was managing it this time, so it was much better than Tacoma, at least my experience was. Who was, in, who was there in 2008? Yeah, quite a good number of you. And uh, this is Mrs. Ingham. We still have video of Mrs. Ingham. We need to, to archive and make that available. She's just so amazing. Uh, the middle picture is Alicia Myers, if you never met her. She was the author of the elegant essay and uh, Worldviews to the World, and then the research, writing the research paper. Alicia passed on, I don't know, probably six years ago uh, from cancer, not in old age. Uh, but she was always just such a wonderful person to work with. And that's Burton in his prime. <laughs> that's, that's about the expression you would expect <laughs> when he's talking to you. And uh, who's that? Oh, that's Linda. I don't know anybody else in that. Oh, there's Karen, Shima, yeah. So we were just about done with California. We knew we needed to move somewhere, but we didn't know where. So we prayed and took a few trips and decided Uruguay was probably not the best option. <laughs> so we looked for where could you go, and it was as much like Uruguay as possible. <laughs> and we found Eastern Oklahoma. <laughs> By this time, uh, the Yahoo group, which Jill, you were managing that, had over 5,000 members. We kept winning awards. I went to Kenya. There I am, kissing a giraffe. That was the <laughs> high moment of being in Kenya. In case you're wondering, how do you get a giraffe to kiss you? You put a little giraffe food in your mouth, and then you stick your head way out, and the giraffe comes and licks it out of your mouth. And it's actually quite, quite clean. Giraffe saliva is the most antiseptic stuff you can get. <laughs> And this is a rare case of me teaching without a tie because this was Africa with no air conditioning and it was hot. Uh, there, you might be uh, interested to note, this is our Oklahoma facility that was first built. This was our entire customer service department. <laughs> My daughter Genevieve. She answered every phone call and, and, and e answered every email and then we got her a little bit of help and a little bit more and a little bit more and then she left and then we had to get a whole lot more. This is Cameron, and there's Pete, looking a bit younger. This is our first printing room. Look at that lovely little printer. <laughs> Kept winning awards, everything going pretty well. News and events ended, and Julie got the Magalog. And so there we see the first of the Arts of Language Magalog, where we intersperse articles to trick people into thinking that our catalog is actually worth reading. <laughs> Uh, but it's been good. It's been good. Uh, we added more new staff. We had a third uh, educators writing symposium in Winston-Salem. And then we had the first schools division retreat in Orange County. And then I was, at that point, good enough friends with Andrew Kern that I said, let's do a show. And I had met Andrew, I believe, 2006. And when I first met Andrew, we were sitting at a table in a small and relatively unsuccessful convention in Houston. And we knew of each other, but we hadn't met yet. And so I, of course, initiated our relationship by telling him a joke. 
He knew the joke. <laughs> he then attempted to tell me a joke. I knew the joke. <laughs> I then attempted a joke on him, and of course, to my surprise, he knew that joke. He tried a joke on me. I knew the joke. We went back and forth. Pretty soon I'm thinking, this guy is smart. <laughs> and so we had met each other here and there, now and then, and I became uh, very attracted to everything Andrew said. And I thought, let's do this idea of a, a tour. And so we did it. The two Andrews, right there. There we are. And so we toured. We did five trips, did we, Andrew? Florida, Texas, uh, Virginia, California, Northwest. And then we finished in the Midwest, finished in Oklahoma City. And I, it, uh, quite honestly, Andrew Kern is, I think, the only other person I have been willing, well, the exception of my wife or children, to share a hotel room. That is how close we are. <laughs> we also wanted to save money. <laughs> but we were in the car. I tried to teach him to sing. We were in restaurants. I almost killed him with a hot pepper. <laughs> we were in the hotels. And, and I, th those times with you, Andrew, were just absolutely priceless for me. In fact, to be quite honest, almost every good idea I have ever taught anyone since that time, I stole from him. <laughs> But then I suspect he stole them from someone else, so I don't feel terribly <laughs> guilty. Andrew, would you say a few words since you came all the way to be here with us? This is how much I love this guy. I love you too, Lee, but I'm not going to hug you like this. So does this mean you're going to be in my hotel room tonight? No, but I might pick you up early in the morning for breakfast. Okay. I realized, <clears throat> excuse me, I realized while the slideshow was going that I became acquainted with IEW way back around 1997. Really? When was the, the blue binder with the gold seal first? It was 1997 to 99. So it was, it was around then I went to a, a workshop in, I was living in Boise, Idaho. And somebody put on a workshop right across the border in Washington, and I had just joined the school. I thought I was—I thought it might have been '96, but it probably was '97 then. And um, we went over to do a a one-day workshop. All I can re really remember is the blue binder because we bought one, and then the um, uh, rubbing the knob. There was a little story in there that book that lies. the book yeah, lies. The book lies. <laughs> And, and, and the person leading the workshop was really uncomfortable about this phrase, about this lice. <laughs> anyway, I leave that to you all to work out. That was a long time ago, so I can't be responsible. And now I really wish that my wife was here for two reasons. One is because I like the logical syllogism. You know, they say that behind every great man is a great woman. And so obviously everybody knows that behind Andrew is Robin. And behind me is a great woman, too, my wife, and so therefore I must be a great man. <laughs> right? But also she has a memory, and I don't. And so she, would she can tell me the date everything happened, and she could tell me everything that we ever did together. 
and she wouldn't even need to look at Maybe that is why, because she's always looking at the check register. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then it, it was a long time after that that we actually met. Yeah. It was Martin Cawthron kept telling each of us, you need to meet each other, you need to meet each other. And I guess it was around 2005, 2006 that we finally met. And it was, like he described. I was going to tell the whole story, but now it's ruined. <laughs> so, so I got to I got to look up my notes because I, I actually prepared some notes for this. Oh no! <laughs> so this is a new jacket, <laughs> but the first thing that happened after I bought it was I put a pen in it, and the pen broke the pocket lining, and my cards are like. <laughs> Well, just wing it. <laughs> Turns out they're here. So. <laughs> Jokes are a big part of our lives together. And, and in fact, when, when we did the two Andrews, you probably, some of you have probably seen that there was a, a video made of us doing the two Andrews, at the end of which Julie came up with the genius idea of asking us interview questions separately in a different room. And among those questions was, what's your favorite joke? And then they recorded, we both gave the same answer. <laughs> and they recorded us telling that joke. And then on the video, it goes back and forth between us telling it. He's way better at telling it. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you that joke now, because I want you to buy the two Andrews video. <laughs> we'll, we'll get it up on YouTube. But, but, but the joke, I will say, captures a lot of our shared values. Yes. For sure. Definitely. Absolutely. But what. Andrew did for me in the, the two Andrews tour was, I mean, frankly, I was nothing. I was this two-bit guy who just moved to Concord, North Carolina, and, you know, what, who ever heard of Circe Institute? Who would name an institute Circe, after all? Have you read the Odyssey? I got asked that question a lot. <laughs> That's why I like Homer so much. But, but frankly, the, the, the experience broadened my encounter and, and let so many more people know about the Searcy Institute that now more people know about the Searcy Institute. And I, how do you thank a person enough for that, especially at that time? And as he said, we shared a lot of ideas. We, we spent five, six hour days sometimes in the car together driving. And, and it's true, he did try to teach me how to sing. <laughs> I have the worst voice you'll ever hear. But he got me to where I could almost me hit that note right there that I was looking for every now and again. So I'm very grateful. But because jokes are, are, are such a big part of our, our life, I, I have a joke to tell you. I made this one up for tonight. Okay. Once upon a time, there were two, two kids, two boys. And at, at a certain point, they got to high school age. And so they were still best buddies in high school. You know, friendship is in high school, right? There's nothing like high school friendship. But then they graduate from high school, and each one goes their own separate ways. One of them grew up to become a comedian. The other one grew up to become a melancholic. But one day, the comedian was traveling all around the country, and he, he was coming to the town where his melancholic friend lived, and he said, hey, let's get together for dinner. And the melancholic says, OK, let's get together for dinner. And then they get together for dinner. And for about the whole time, He's complaining about his life and how miserable it is and all these horrible things that happened to him. And it's just so terrible. And finally, he says, but what about you, man? 
look at you, you built this great, big, successful business, this com comedy routine, you're traveling the world, you're super successful. And the guy says, they're both named Andrew. <laughs> and Andrew looks at Andrew and he says, yeah, you know, it's true, nothing bad has ever happened to me. It's all material. Some of you are getting it. <laughs> There's a moral to the story, <laughs> which is that Andrew is a man of incredible integrity. And when bad things have happened to him, and I've been part of his life as bad things have happened, as, as he's talked to me about struggles he's gone through, he's never wavered. He's never wavered not only in his faith, but he's never wavered in his integrity. And think about this. He's got a program called Structure and style, okay? We have a program at the Searcy Institute called the Lost Tools of Writing. It has three parts, invention, arrangement, and elocution. Arrangement and elocution are synonyms for structure and style. We came at this from two very different directions. Why would a person who's selling a writing program and making a decent living off it take somebody who could very easily be conceived as direct competition and go on a tour with this person when he's nobody and give him a place at the table. Why would a person do that? Apart from your lousy business instincts, <laughs> you are a great man. <laughs> so I want to end. I came across a quote. I came across a quote in Plato this week that I, that I want to second, almost end with, because this is what Andrew means to me. He clearly sees a, a person, well, I'll just read this quote to you. He clearly sees that not even all his other friends and his relations together have anything to offer by way of friendship in comparison with the friend who is divinely possessed. Now, Andrew, you've heard me say many a time my, line, my favorite line out of classical literature by Cicero, the ending of his essay on friendship, De Amicitia in Latin. He said, finally, one piece of advice on parting. Virtue, without which friendship is impossible, is the greatest of all things. But next to virtue, and to virtue alone, the greatest of all things is friendship. That's why you mean so much to me. To have a friend who you can also say is divinely possessed and is one of your best friends, probably best friend in the whole world. <laughs> By the way, I felt really good about that until I, until I started thinking about the word probably. <laughs> no, I, I will explain because see, I'm like a high school guy and I still have this mindset that it, it's dangerous for me to say that you are my best friend if you're not saying that I'm your best friend. No, 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 no. So I don't want to no. presume, no. that's the thing. No. I don't, no, you got that wrong. You're not like a high school guy. <laughs> you like a high school girl. <laughs> a high school guy would not say that or uh, think that. I never had any friends in high school. You. <laughs> We're BFFs, man. Okay. Because, because next to virtue alone, the greatest of all things is friendship. Hey, Thank you. God. Thanks for coming.
got to do another one. <laughs> to Andrews 2.0. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.